you, you need all the beauty sleep you can get. <laughs> uh, a few things real quick before we get into the service. Um, this this kind of new, it's kind of sprung on all the churches, not just us. Um, so the Conrads, Bill and Sharon Conrad, that we support through at Rock of Ages Missions, uh, they're leaving Rock of Ages. It'll be effective April 1st. They're actually going, uh, been led to start their own organization called Seeds for Change Ministries. And it's it's pretty much from what I can understand, it's the same thing as Rock of Ages, but it's only for um, the school system. So they're doing the exact same thing. They'll be going into the schools, doing the S Club and doing character under construction, but just on their own and not uh, under the umbrella of Rock of Ages ministry. They will fall under the umbrella of uh, Mount Lebanon Baptist Church, which is uh, off of Bears Creek uh, out my way. So um, we've, we've already supported them for the year. Was it January or February, January? Was it 600, 500? 600. 600. So they, that goes with them. So if anybody had any concern about what we gave them back uh, earlier this year, um, it does go with them. But if I don't, I, and the only reason I'm doing this right now is because I wasn't sure if anybody was supporting them on their own. If you are, you probably got this letter already. Uh, but any any financial support that they get that is sent to Rock of Ages after April 1st goes into the general fund. It will go into the general fund after 90 days, I believe, um, sitting there. So um, just I just want to let everybody know. And when when it's time to to support them again next year, we actually need to go back and 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 vote on this again because we voted to go through rock of ages not through this so uh we'll pin all this up for you guys to read he's got a uh, the newsletter that he normally sends monthly or bi-monthly uh it'll be up there as well for y'all to read but i just want to keep y'all in the loop with the conrads it's so funny michelle burnup called me michelle and michael both called me earlier this week and we were talking they saying how are the conrads doing i said i don't know i really haven't talked to them much since we're not doing much uh, in the schools right now and then the next day is when all this comes down. So um, that's a, it's kind of a good thing. It's going to be a great thing for Avery County because they're going to be able to focus up here a lot more in the schools. And you guys know how much they they love the schools. Um, a couple things real fast before we get into this. Hunter, come here just a second. Come on. People over here can't see you. you got to come up here real fast. Because everybody wants to see you. Bring your ticket with you. <laughs> his, his award. Oh, oh, is a warning? Oh, okay, good. That's great. So Hunter, that's really good for somebody's insurance. Hunter has got his license now. He is a new, he is a new state of North Carolina contractor. And that's been a big ordeal, I know, for y'all to go through and uh, appreciate everybody. Do what? Amen. <laughs> that's what you said. <laughs> but I just want everybody to give him a hand for his accomplishment. I think that's great. So there's the the future of Huffman Home Builders right there. Not much of a face, but it's the future. Good job. Congratulations. You can sit down now. Do what? He He, he mumbled it. I heard it. April 1st, it's a Thursday. We're going to do Monday, Thursday, where we'll have communion that night, so put that on your calendars. It's going to be a good time. Looking forward to that. Easter is April 4th. Hopefully, we'll be having breakfast that morning. I hope we'll have breakfast that morning. Judy? You can't eat it. VJ can't, you can't touch it. You can't even smell it. Just come down at 10 o'clock, and you can wash dishes. 
I guess we're going to have it. What? I'm all right with it. <laughs> all right. And then April 7th, is uh, it's the first Wednesday in April, and I believe we'll be able to, to kind of start back on our Wednesday nights with the youth and the Bible studies and, and all that goes on with that. So um, just a couple things there I want to throw out. Keep it. We'll try to keep it. Uh, on call tree and online the, mo- the best that we can so everybody knows try not to to leave anybody out and I will follow up on this last week we mentioned something about uh, Miss George's uh, granddaughter's dad we wasn't really sure what was going on but he actually did pass away last was it last Saturday last was it last Saturday so it's Kalen uh, everybody the little boys that come with Georgia it would be their grandpa um, that had passed away last Saturday so just keep that, that family in prayer as well. Uh, we're going to be over in Matthew 26, 17 this morning. Matthew 26. We're going to keep on trucking on the road to Calvary. But you thought I was going to say Damascus, didn't you? So we're going to be on the road to Calvary this morning. And, and part two, and we're kind of walking our way through. And I've been thinking about this since for about a month now. How awesome would it be Easter of next year? That week prior, that we have Sunday, we have Sunday service the 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 week before the Sunday before Easter, and then we go and we're we're kind of like a revival. We'd be here every night, and every night we would talk about the steps to Calvary that Jesus took. I mean, that, that's just a, something Lord laid on my heart. We'll we'll look at that next year. Um, but I I love this today. What we're going to look at, and this is the Last Supper, and it sounds like a it's a it's a big jump to go from. Uh, riding in that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now we're at the Last Supper, and there were some things that took place in between there we don't know much about. But we're going to look at the next big event that took place with Jesus. And I actually preached on a lot of the the points, actually all four of the points that we're going to be looking at today. I preached last year, and y'all wasn't here to hear it, just my five dummies and Keith and James. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) Or seven dummies. I don't know what you... do the math but we were here we, I was here uh, yeah I think it was probably about the last uh, the first Sunday that we actually was here without everyone here uh, so we're gonna, I'm going to readdress those four points again and kind of mix things up a little bit as well so one of the questions I remember asking last year and y'all wasn't here to answer this or at least think about it, is if you knew tomorrow was your last day on earth what would you do if you knew that this was the last day that you would be on earth tomorrow. You would not be here. What would you do? There's all kinds of things that kind of rush through everybody's minds about what I would do. What would you do? Where would you go? Who would you see? What would you say? Would you make amends with the people? What would you do? Would you go to the bank, draw everything out, and go blow it as quickly as possible? What would you do? That's a big, that's, that's a huge question to ask yourself. And it's, it's tough to answer because we don't know. We don't know that tomorrow is going to be our last day. We don't know that today is the last day. I, and I, I, I try to go through Sundays thinking this might be the last Sunday we get to see each other. I know it sounds kind of morbid, but it's kind of a, a piece as well because if I don't see y'all next Sunday because the rapture hit, that's great. We're going to be celebrating in heaven. We're going to be with the preacher when we get to heaven. That's great. 
But we don't know. We do know life is but a vapor. It's what we're told in the Bible. We, we know that it's short, it starts, and it ends. And it seems like a lot of times it ends really quick. But life is a, a, a vapor. So we're here for a little while and then we're gone. But if you knew that tomorrow you would be gone, what would you do? I got a whole list of things I'd do. A whole list of things I'd do. And I wouldn't tell you about it. It's personal. But we've all got something that, some things that we want to do. One of the things that I think the majority of us, and, and knowing y'all like I do, because we're all pretty family-oriented, we would probably spend that day with our family. I feel like the majority of us would probably call everybody together and we would have a meal, because that's what we do. We eat. We would have kind of our own last supper, our own last meal, together and we would fellowship and we would probably tell stories and talk about the past and all the good things where God has been there with us and we would have a a great time of fellowship that's what I think the majority of us would do and I may be wrong on some of that so last week again we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem today we're going to look at the last supper and we'll see how Jesus spent the last few hours of his life he didn't have much time from here on from the time that he sat with these friends of his, these were good friends of his, until he was taken away in the false trial began, he didn't have a lot of time. But we're going to see this morning how he spent the last few hours of his life. He knew his time on earth was, was close. He knew it. The others didn't. I, I, the more you read this about, uh, especially as we get closer to Easter, the more you read about Jesus and the disciples, the more we read about it, the more you understand they didn't understand. They didn't know what they thought they knew about Jesus. They didn't realize who Jesus was, not till after the resurrection. And then it was like, oh man, he really was. He really is who he said he was. So they had that aha moment. But Jesus spent his last few hours with his friends. He knew time was coming to an end. He didn't choose to do something he'd never done before. He didn't say, man, I, I, let's run up to Europe real fast. Let me, I want to run up where the, where the Romans are from. I, I want to go up north for a little bit longer. He didn't say, I want to run down to, to Egypt back where I lived as a child for a little while. He said, I didn't want to do all that. He said, I just, I just want to go spend my last few hours with some friends in a room, and we're going to eat together. We're going to have a meal to get together. We're going to break bread together. He didn't want to talk to people that he didn't know. He didn't want to go. He could have. He could have went out to the streets and said, Hey, man, come here. I want to talk to you for a second. Let me tell you about my dad. Let me tell you about the father. He didn't say that. He said, I want to go spend some time with my friends, with my brothers. He didn't choose to do something that he had not done in the past. There's a, everybody's got a bucket list. There's all these things. Mine is I want to skydive before I'm 40. That's, my, that's on my bucket list. She says no. So I have a year and a few months to go before that has to take place. <laughs> has to take place. That's on my bucket We've got a bucket list. Jesus, I don't know if Jesus had a bucket list or not. I don't know. But he didn't go down his bucket list and say, i got to do these things real quick. He said, I'm going to go eat with my friends. We're going to go to this room. He chose to observe the Passover with his disciples. 
observe the Passover. What a way to go. I'm going to meet with my friends, and we're going to observe the Passover. He said, one more time. One more time together on this side of heaven. One more meal, one more time of fellowship with his friends. But this supper wasn't just any other Passover celebration. It was, it was more than that. And we're going to look at four things this morning that God has showed us, that the Last Supper, supper shows us, I guess, uh, through Jesus and his, his time with his friends. And it teaches us a lot about ourselves, and it te- teaches us a lot about God's plan of salvation. So if you've got your Bible open to, to Matthew 26, if you'll stay in just a moment, we're going to read uh, starting at verse 17. 26, 17. The Bible says, Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, And they made ready the Passover. Now, when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Father, this morning as uh, we get to come back to you, Lord, and and look at one of the most precious events to take place right prior to the crucifixion of your son, Lord, where my Jesus sat with his friends, his beloved brothers, and he broke bread one more time. And, Father, I pray that each one of us can take this this morning, Lord, and we can use it and find encouragement in where your son Jesus Christ is in our lives, where he leads us in our lives, where he guides us, uh, where he wants us to be in our lives, where it would be thy will. He wants us in the center of thy will. So, Lord, I pray that uh, as we read and as we uh, preach this morning, God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, let us uh, receive your word, and God, I pray that you would just bless our time together here at Chestnut Dale, and I pray, God, that you would be with those, as uh, Brother Keith had mentioned this morning, those objects that were mentioned uh, that are weighing on our hearts, those that are sick, those that uh, are dealing and struggling with the death of a loved one, uh, God, I pray that you would just give them great comfort, and I do want to lift up the Harmon family to you this morning as Brother Ron has finally made it home, and I pray, Lord, that uh, you just give them peace and comfort this morning, knowing that he is, we know he is in the arms of our Lord Jesus Christ right now. We just want to thank you for the opportunity we had to be with him, and Lord, to celebrate and to worship with him those years at Beach Valley. 
And God, again, I just thank you again for this time that you've given us this morning. All your son's name we pray. Amen. And you have a seat. I'll tell you something. Uh, they better sing this at Ron's funeral, but farther along, he always told, and I've told you all this before, but Ron... He he was the he was a choir leader for years down at Beach Valley. He he had some health problems and his wife had some health problems, so he stepped back and he was assistant. But he every Father's Day he'd always tell the same joke about somebody at the church saying there's no hymns about far, fathers, and he said yeah it is it's Father Along, and so they'd always sing Father Along on on Father's Day. So that, boy I hope they sing that at the funeral. Far, farther Along, Father Along. This morning we're going to look at four things the Last Supper tells us. And first thing we'll look at is Last Supper tells us God is always in control. I don't know if y'all have noticed this or not, but for the past several weeks, maybe a couple months, that gets brought up pretty often. God is in control. I feel like we need to be reminded. Uh, Brother Keith talked about this morning, we need refreshed. We need to be refreshed. We need to look at some things that we don't look at. Just like he said we, we only look at the, the birth of Jesus at Christmas. We only look at the death of Jesus at Easter. But we need to be refreshed all the time about things. So I want to remind you one more time that God is in control. I don't care what your problem is. God is in control. I don't care how fast this world is spinning out of control. God is still in control. Just a reminder, and I might bring it up again next Sunday. I don't know. But if you get nothing else out of it, God is in control. Look at verse 17. Again, it says, Now the first day of the feast was of unleavened bread. The disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the house to such a man, I'm sorry, go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand, and will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now, Jesus is now living the last hours of his time on earth. He only has a few short hours left before he is taken away, before he is escorted out of the garden, before he is taken to a trial, before he, all the, the persecution takes place. He only has a few short hours. What would you do in a few short hours that you had left here on earth? We need to remember that God is in control. If we knew that we wouldn't be here tomorrow, we got to remember God is in control of everything that takes place. He knows what's ahead of him. Jesus knew what was getting ready to take place. I know it broke his heart, and we read that in there a while ago, and we'll get at it a little bit later too, but he knew who was going to betray him. He knew from the beginning who was going to betray him. He's not frantic. He's not panicking. He's not worried. He's not rushing around trying to, to tie up loose ends. Jesus wasn't like we would be. If I knew I was going to be going tomorrow, I might be a little frantic. I might be trying to tie up some loose ends somewhere to make sure that all my I's were crossed and T's were dotted and I wasn't going to leave my family with any big obligations that would overwhelm them. Not Jesus. He said, there's a room. Just go over here and talk to this feller. And he's going to let you have the room. And you guys go get ready for this Passover meal. He's not panicking. He is He's cool and collected. He is ready to go. He is He's Jesus. 
He did not panic. He is not, that, that human side of him, I don't think showed at that moment. Now, I'm sure inward, I'm sure inside, there was, you know, here it is, guys. We're, we're at the last few hours. There may have been something there, but he, he put on a good front. He had a, a good face about him right there. He was in complete control. He sends the disciples ahead to see that certain man, like I said, to get that room ready. It was because he was in complete control control of the entire situation when we start to understand that God is in complete control when we finally wrap our minds around it uh, about him being in control of this whole world and all the events that take place in this world right now our life will change forever we ain't going to see a change in our personal life until we realize that God is in control when we allow him to have complete control of our lives then we'll see, start seeing changes. We'll see changes in our lives. We'll see changes in our homes. We'll see changes in the churches. When the churches start letting God be in control like he's supposed to be, we've got to let him be in control. God is sovereign, which means he is supreme, has supreme power and authority. Now, one of the things that we like to talk about, and I know me and Keith talk about this some, the, the three O's of Jesus. So the first one is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He is all-knowing. You can't pull nothing over on God. He knows everything, everything that goes on. He knew you. The Bible says before you was formed in your mama's belly, in the womb, he knew who you was. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He put the stars in the sky. He knows how much sand is on the beach. He knows everything. He knows everything. You can't pull nothing over on God. And the second thing is he's omnipotent which means that he's all powerful. Powerful. He's so strong. He can take it all on. He can, hey, you know what he can do? He can take your burdens. All those burdens that are weighing you down right now, and you're like, oh, I just can't do this no more. He says, I can take those. Just let me have them. Strong enough. I can handle your burdens. I can handle your sorrows. I can handle all that you can throw at me. Bring it on. Because he says, I'm omnipotent. The third thing is he's omnipresent. I like omnipresent because guess what? God's with us right now. You know what tickles me to death? He's way over at Willow Valley Baptist Church right now with my family. He's way down at Bailey's Camp Baptist Church with my family. He's up the road here at all these little churches and back here behind us at this little church, down the road at these little churches. He's omnipresent. He doesn't say, well, this Sunday i got to go to Chestnut Dale. Next Sunday I'll pick up at Yellow Mountain. He doesn't say that. He says, this Sunday I'm going to be with all my churches. Amen. Next Sunday I'm going to be with all my churches. Because he's omnipresent. And then tomorrow when we start at work, he's going to be with me at work. He's going to be with you all at work. When we leave this church after a while, he's going to go to my house. He's going to go to your house. He's going to be in your heart. He's going to be in my heart. Because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. At all times. So again, you can't get away from him. No matter what comes your way, rejoice in knowing that your father will be there with you to help get you out, to help get you where you need to be. He's going to be with you because he is in control. There's never a point when God is not in control. And the Last Supper that we're reading about, that proves it. He's in control. Number two, the Last Supper tells us that our sin is not hidden from God. Now, this is going back to Judas that we was talking about a while ago. Verse 21 says, And they did eat, and he said, 
Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. Judas probably never mentioned his betrayal of Jesus in public. He probably didn't go around to his close friends and say, Guess what I did? I got some silver because I'm going to give up Jesus to the Romans after a while. That's not what he said. He thought that it was a secret. He didn't brag about what was getting ready to take place to anybody. He didn't tell anybody what was going on. I just think he's probably ashamed, to be honest with you. I don't know for sure. But he thought it was a secret. He'd get those 30 pieces of silver and still be able to fellowship with Jesus. There's no way that that man could fellowship with Jesus. There is no. Have you ever come to church so burdened down with sin and things that go on in your life that you just can't worship? I mean, every one of us come in once or twice, and you just got so much on your plate. You had a fight with your spouse the night before or the morning before, or you have a 35-minute ride with your girls to church, and all they want to do is fight, and they just kill the spirit. I'm not sure if y'all have that problem or not. You know, we just have these times in our lives where we, we just... We can't worship because there's so much sin or so much stuff going on in our lives. There is no way that Judas could sit at that table with those men and, and truly worship with them because of what he had just done for a little bit of money. For 30 pieces of silver, he gave up my Jesus. What Judas didn't understand was who Jesus really was. Now, I'd say... Him and the other 11 were probably all in the same boat on this one. They didn't truly understand who Jesus was. They were following him by faith. They knew that he was the Messiah. They knew that he was come to, and we'll talk about it here later, seek and save that which is lost. They understood that, but I don't think they understood that he was getting ready to die. He re- all the prophecy was getting ready to come true. He was getting ready to die. I don't think they understood that. Judas and the others did not understand that. He didn't understand that he is almighty God, so he knew Judas's heart. I don't think it ever clicked with him. I don't think it ever clicked with any of them until the resurrection, especially with Judas right here. He already knew, Jesus already knew Judas's intention. He already knew what was going to take place. He already knew that he was going to be kissed. He was going to give him that holy kiss on the cheek. That's still a thing, by the way. I tell you what, you go over to Israel and some guy comes up to you and lays one on your cheek. It's kind of, but they do it still. They call it a holy kiss. Don't do that to me. There are things that we do that we think are secret from everybody else. I said it last week. There's secret sins. Judas had a secret sin, and his sin was betrayal. He betrayed Jesus. We all have a secret sin somewhere in us, whether it be the sin of gossip. Maybe that's your thing. Maybe you like to tell people things. Maybe you like to tell the dirty jokes. Maybe you like to be in that crowd of people with dirty jokes. Maybe you, you uh, 
I don't know what you do. Just pull one over on people. Maybe that's your thing. You like to fool people. Pull it, not not uh, joke and pick with them. But maybe you just not a a good business person, and you think that you can pull a fast one over some on somebody, and no one will ever know. I don't know. But as the Last Supper shows us right here, nothing is hidden from God. No matter what your secret sin might be in your life, God sees it. God's seen Judas. God's seen everybody's secret sin, and he can still see sin. He sees your sin. He sees my sin. No matter what we think we're hiding from ourselves and from others, we cannot hide that from God. He sees it, and he frowns upon that. He don't like it, and he says, stop. Stop doing that. Don't be sinning anymore. Don't try to hide it from anybody else because you're not going to hide it from me. He says, just stop doing that. I'm going to forgive you and just don't do it anymore. That hidden sin is its a burden. So if you've ever had something, and I know a lot of people, I, I, I know personally I've got to speak with some addicts, that they were secret addicts actually that they had been dealing with things, and I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about drugs now. They were addicted to other things. And they hid it so well from their family, but it was such a burden that they couldn't worship. They were actually miserable people. They put up a pretty good for miserable people. And the Lord just kept dealing with them and dealing with them, and in, in the, the famous words of Bob Newhart, you know, stop it. That's what they heard from God, just stop it. Stop dabbling in this sin. Stop dabbling in this addiction that you have because it's being on your heart. You can't worship. You can't love. You can't be the husband. You can't be the wife. You can't be the, the, the church member. You can't be the deacon. You can't be the preacher that you're supposed to be because you're dabbling in this secret sin, so stop it. Some of the famous, most encouraging words, uh, probably the most... Motivating words Bob Newhart ever spoke. <laughs> Just stop it. If y'all don't know who that is, Google it later. Stop it. The younger generation will not. Stop before you destroy, destroy yourself. If you don't stop your secret sin, you're going to destroy yourself. You're going to destroy yourself. You're going to destroy your reputation. You're going to destroy your family's reputation. And I hate to say it, but there's a good chance you could destroy the church's reputation. If you don't stop dabbling in the secret sin, stop it. Number three, the Last Supper tells us the purpose for Jesus on earth. Verse 26 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. He said, and he, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 28 says, For this is my body of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus didn't come just to teach us good morals. He did teach us some good morals. He gave us, I mean, he's a great example of morals. But that's not just the reason he came to earth. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he came in just some morals because lord knows this world ain't going to teach you any morals anymore but jesus taught us some morals but he had a purpose he had a reason very specific purpose and a very specific 
reason. Mark 10, 25 says, For even the Son of Man come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That last part, did you catch that? And to give his life a ransom for many. That many, we're, we're part of that many. We're, we're part of that crowd. We're part of the all. We're part of that. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. There's another reason he came. 1 John 2.2 2 says, And he is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Of the whole world. Did you read that? In the, I want to read that real fast. That was part of your lesson today. We didn't talk about I'm going to read you this little definition right here. For propitiation, I'll get out in a minute. <laughs> Removing sin that separates God and man. When the priest sprinkled the sacrificial blood on the mercy seat, it stopped being a place of judgment and became a place of mercy. I love that. But the, the writer here, he told this little story. I'm going to read it. It says, when my daughter was younger, she broke something inside a store. I had to come alongside her to help her pay for the broken item. I had to pay and make restitution. In the same way, God has come alongside us through Jesus Christ and offered us an opportunity for reconciliation, a payment for our wrong, for our wrongdoing. We call this atonement. I, I love that. I love that. So he had a reason to come, not just to teach us morals, not just to teach us Old Testament, not just to, to show us a little bit about love, not just to show us a little bit about long-suffering, not just show us a little bit about mercy or a little bit about grace. He came to die for us, to seek and to save that which is lost. All of us. First John, again, I love this. He says, and he is the propitiation of our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The whole world. Not just... Israel, not just Jordan, not just Egypt, not just Ethiopia, not just that little region right there around where he was raised. It says, folks, this is New Testament. It says the whole world. They didn't even know what the whole world was then. They didn't know about the other, uh, the other lands where America is now and, and where South Africa or South America is now, or or Iceland or Greenland or Antarctica or any of that. They didn't know that stuff then. They didn't. God did. And so he said it to save that which was lost. He said he, he, he not only for our own sins, or for, not only ours, I'm sorry, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's my Jesus. He came to die for the whole world. Me, you, everybody before us, and everybody after us. That's the whole world. He came to be our blood sacrifice. He came said that that new covenant, this new covenant, he came so that in this new covenant my sins would be forgiven. Those little sheep we talked about in Sunday school that were being killed, those calves that we look at in the Old Testament, he came so that all that stuff would stop. It would be done. He said, one more. One more perfect, blemishless, spotless lamb. 
And it wasn't the little lamb that we think about from a farm. It was the Son of God. He said, this is it. This will be the last one. The last sacrifice. The last one. He came to die in my place. He came to die in my place. He came to die in your place. He came to suffer in my place. I couldn't have made that. I'd probably wimped out and, and killed over when they was out there with the cat and nine tails beating me in the back. I just went, I just went on. But he suffered for me. And he suffered for you. He came to shed innocent blood in my place. He came to shed innocent blood in your place. Again, that whole world we're talking about, that's us. He shed blood for the whole world. He came so that I may have life ever after. I might be able to live in eternity. So you might be able to live in eternity. There's so many reasons he came. So many reasons out there that, and he's fulfilled them all. He came to give me what I could not earn, what I could not borrow, what I could not buy. It didn't cost me a dime. It didn't cost me one drop of blood. It didn't cost me one tear. But it cost him his life. Cost him his life. He came to give me salvation. But not just salvation. It's salvation. It don't still don't cost us nothing. Not a thing. And when I say full, I mean full. There's no stipulations. Free, there's no stipulations. I'm always kind of eerie about things that are free. There's always going to be something in there. There's going to be some some little something, small print down there towards the bottom. You know, here you can have this new car for free. And you read it, it looks great. And then you realize, you know, you got to give up the land that your house is sitting on or whatever. There's always going to be some stipulations. Not with salvation. There's no stipulations with salvation. He said, ask Jesus into your heart. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. Let him in. And now you've got eternity in heaven. That's it. Now, does he want us to do things? Yeah. He, he likes works after salvation. He wants us to go out and make disciples. He wants us to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, that's what he wants from us. But there's no other sacrifice that we need to make. There's nothing else that we need to do after we ask him into our life. Just, again, I like works after salvation. Number four, last one. The Last Supper tells us the promise of eternal life. That's a promise. We talked about these promises a lot here lately. There is a promise of eternal life. Verse 29 says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's a promise. That's a promise. That marriage supper of the Lamb that we talk about, that marriage supper of the Lamb that I'm looking so forward to, that one where we're going to use my grandma's table that I, tell you, I told you all about, that, that's, that's what I look forward to. No, we're not using my grandma's table, but that's, that's, that's the way I like to picture the marriage supper of the Lamb is sitting at my grandma's table. 
he says, I'm going to read again because that's good stuff. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It's a promise that he is going to have a meal with us. He is going to sit down at that marriage supper table and we're going to feast together. That is his promise. Now, when we do communion, we do, when we do the Lord's Supper, we're, we're doing this in remembrance of him. And this, I, I always think of this. This is the promise that he made us, that he's going to do it with us on that day that we sit down with him at that table, a supper table. So that refreshing, like Keith was talking about. We, do, we have communion to refresh our hearts and our minds of the sacrifice that he made and this promise that we just read a few times. This promise, so we can remember that promise that he made us, that he is going to sit with us, and he's going to sup with us. He's going to sit at that table, and we're going to break bread, and we're going to drink that new wine, and we're going to have a new house, we're going to have a new mansion that he's prepared just for us, like the song says, by, uh, not made by hands. Not made by hands. He spoke it. I, that's where I was getting at. I was going to say this when we were talking about how uh, Moses received the tablet. I think God spoke it. I think he just said it and phew, there it was. But that's his promise. This promise is from Jesus to us. Jesus promised to celebrate again with his followers in the future. I'm a follower. He wasn't just talking about these guys. He's talking about all of us. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a whosoever. I'm a believer. You can call me a Christian if you want to. But I'm a follower of Jesus. Who says there's no such thing as eternal security? I'll prove you wrong. I believe in eternal security. I believe in eternal security. I believe that I cannot lose my salvation. I believe that God ain't going to kick me out because I said something I shouldn't. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If you go to him, he ain't kicking you out. That's my take on it. John says, And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's Jesus, that's in red. I will no no wise cast out. You come to me, you stay with me. You call on my name, I come into your heart, and I'm there. So, where do these people get that you can lose your salvation? Where do they get that you can fall from grace? Where do they get that God can reject you? After salvation, I don't know where it comes from. But I do believe that people molest that Bible. I believe that they've misinterpreted that Bible a lot. Not my Bible. My Bible says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. No wise cast out. Verse 29 again, I'm going to read it one more time. I love it. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's a great promise from Jesus right there to all his followers. That is a great promise. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And then you follow it up with this right here. What a promise. I'm going to get a new house and a big meal. Wow, that's a win-win, ain't it? I'm going to get a new body. 
on top of that. Win, win, win. I won't be in the presence of Jesus for the rest of my eternal life. Ever and ever and ever. There's another win. I'm going to be with my family that believed in Jesus. There's another win. You just don't get no better than that. It's just always a win with Jesus. And those promises he's fulfilling. And we're going to sit with Jesus at that great marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm going to be right in between my grandmas, just so you all know this. I want to sit right between Grandma Chloe and Grandma Verley. I want to sit right in between the two of them. Because I never, I was telling Maria this, I never got to really eat with my grandmas. Because they were of the old school where they served you and then they ate what was left over after everybody got up and left. I didn't like that at all. I wanted to eat with my grandmas. I'm going to get to eat with my grandmas. I'm going to get to belly up that table with them. And we're going to eat. We're going to break bread. And I hope they made it. I hope they, I hope we're eating biscuits. <laughs> I hope that's the bread we're getting. But that's his promise to us. The promise, it's mine. He made me that promise. And he's going to keep that promise. But he also made you that promise as well. And he's going to keep that promise for each one of y'all. The promise, sit with us at that table. The promise that he has built us a new home in heaven. And the promise of eternity with him in heaven. Stand with me. We're going to close out. What a promise. What promises he's made us. The new wine. That's what he's talking about. That new wine that we'll be sitting down there at that table. We're going to be drinking it with him. And that new bread that he's making for us. We're going to sit down there and we're going to eat it with him. I don't know if I'm going to go home or not, to be honest with you. I might have a new house built for me up there. I still think it's a one-room shed around back. That's okay. I don't think I'll go home. I don't know if I'll ever get to go see my house. As long as there's a table full of food, <laughs> I might just hang out there. It's kind of like a cruise ship. You know, you just, just got to eat all the time. But I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus and my loved ones that have gone on. So I'm going to have good food and good friends and good family. I don't know if I need to go home. I'll be home, but I don't know if I need to go to my new house. I think I'll be just fine sitting there at that table. Anybody have anything on their heart this morning before we close out? Not in this church. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, Ethan, I need to embarrass you. I can't wait till you get a little older. I'll make you turn red. All hearts and minds clear. Keith, will you dismiss us, please? Amen. All right, we'll see you in the morning.